Welcome to the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast. On today's episode, we cover the topic of toxicology under the drug section found at medbullets.com. Toxicology medications can be broken down into the following categories, metallic poisoning, gas poisoning, prescription drugs overdose, illegal drugs overdose, and household substance overdose. Let's start off by talking about metallic poisoning. We can use deferoxamine or deferazerox to treat iron poisoning. These are used for aluminum poisoning in renal failure, used in iron overload with repeat transfusions, such as seen in thalassemia, and iron overload, which is seen in hemochromatosis. Prussian blue is used to treat cesium and thallium poisoning. These are used in the case of a radioactive incident. Again, Prussian blue is used in the case of a radioactive incident. Penicillamine is used in the case of copper poisoning, which is seen in Wilson's disease. This is a water-soluble form of penicillin, and you should avoid it in patients who have a penicillin allergy. Know that it also chelates copper. Again, penicillamine is to be avoided in patients who have a penicillin allergy, and it works by chelating copper. Next we have EDTA. This is used in the case of lead poisoning, and know that it can chelate and deplete calcium ions. Dimercaprol, or BAL, is used in the case of arsenic, lead, and mercury poisoning. Know that it's used in conjunction with EDTA for lead poisoning. Also know that arsenic poisoning is associated with garlic odor, cardiovascular instability, and Mies lines. Succimer is also used for arsenic, lead, and mercury poisoning. This is used more commonly in children. Next, let's discuss the different types of gas poisoning. 100% oxygen, which is considered hyperbaric oxygen, is used in the case of carbon monoxide poisoning. Carbon monoxide binds with much greater affinity, in particular to fetal hemoglobin, than oxygen. Amyl and sodium nitrite, sodium thiosulfate, and hydroxocobalamin are used to treat cyanide poisoning. Know that cyanide is found in rodenticides like gopher goiter, released in the burning of plastics and wool, and also found in plants such as cassava. Again, know that cyanide is found in rodenticides like gopher goiter, released in burning of plastics and wool, and found in plants such as cassava. Cyanide works by binding Fe3 plus of cytochrome oxidase A3 of the electron transport chain, or ETC, arresting cellular respiration. Nitrites create methemoglobin, or Fe3 plus, intentionally to compete for and bind cyanide so it does not get to the ETC. Next, let's discuss prescription drug overdose. N-acetylcysteine is used in the case of acetaminophen poisoning, and it's best if given within 8 to 10 hours. N-acetylcysteine is also a mucolytic, and know that initial management of acetaminophen poisoning consists of N-acetylcysteine, charcoal, and ordering an acetaminophen level. Sodium bicarbonate is used in the case of salicylate poisoning or tricyclic antidepressant or TCA poisoning. The first sign of overdose is hyperventilation and respiratory alkalosis. Do not give sodium bicarbonate with physostigmine. First, check an EKG for QRS prolongation, then treat with sodium bicarbonate in the case of TCA overdose. Again, do not give sodium bicarbonate with physostigmine, and first check an EKG for QRS prolongation, and then treat with sodium bicarbonate in TCA overdose. Potassium iodide is used to treat radioactive iodine, or I-131 poisoning. Potassium iodide works by preventing the uptake of radioactive iodine. Ammonium chloride, which is NH4Cl and an acidic compound, is used to treat poisoning of amphetamines, which are basic. Ammonium chloride works by eliminating amphetamines by acidifying urine, which results in a changed amphetamine molecule, 
which is then excreted. Atropine and pralidoxime are used for anticholinesterase, organophosphate, and serine or nerve gas poisoning. Start by removing the contaminated clothing if the patient was exposed to insecticides. Atropine is an anticholinergic and combats the excess acetylcholine. Pralidoxime, if given in a timely manner, regenerates acetylcholinesterase, reversing the condition, so timing is critical. Physostigmine is used in the case of antimuscarinic, anticholinergic agents, and atropine overdose. Do not give if patient may have a TCA overdose, as it may lead to heart block or asystole. Physostigmine is a tertiary amine that can cross the blood-brain barrier and reverse anticholinergic effects in the CNS. The toxidrome for these agents is described as hot as a hair, dry as a bone, full as a flask, blind as a bat, red as a beet, and mad as a hatter. Naloxone and naltrexone are used in the case of opioid overdose. These precipitate withdrawal symptoms in chronic opioid users. They're used in patients that have respiratory depression, and know that opioid withdrawal will not kill a patient, it's just unpleasant. Flumazenil is used in the case of benzodiazepine overdose, and it may cause seizures in addicted benzodiazepine users. Flumazenil is rarely used with benzodiazepine overdose, unless there's concern for respiratory depression. Otherwise, let the patient sleep off the benzodiazepines. Gamma-hydroxybutyrate, or GHB poisoning, is treated with supportive measures and observation. GHB is a GABA analog and it has anabolic properties, which is why you might see it associated with bodybuilders. It's also a date rape drug and it's associated with agitation, bradycardia, respiratory depression, pinpoint pupils, somnolence, amnesia, and six to eight hour duration of these symptoms. Glucagon is used in the case of beta blocker overdose. Glucagon, insulin, dextrose, calcium, lipid emulsion, and epinephrine are the antidotes. Overdose of calcium channel blockers like verapamil and diltiazem is treated by calcium, epinephrine, insulin, dextrose, and glucagon. Calcium channel blocker overdose can cause bradycardia, hypotension, hyperglycemia, and heart block. Treatment of clonidine and methyl dopa poisoning consists of supportive measures and naloxone. Clonidine and methyl dopa have a similar toxidrome with meiosis, bradycardia, hypotension, and somnolence. Treat propylene glycol poisoning with cessation of the offending agent and dialysis. Propylene glycol is a solvent for phenytoin, diazepam and lorazepam, and nitroglycerin. Propylene glycol poisoning causes cardiovascular collapse, seen by bradycardia, hypotension, vasodilation, and increased vagal tone. It's also associated with seizure, coma, lactic acidosis, increase in osmolarity gap, and anion gap acidosis. Beta blockers such as propranolol and esmolol are used in the case of theophylline poisoning. Theophylline is an adenosine antagonist and overdose symptoms are due to beta-2 activation such as hypotension, tachycardia, hypokalemia, and hyperglycemia. In the case of digitalis poisoning, you can use digitalis antibody, lidocaine, or magnesium 2+. Visual and GI symptoms are classically seen in digitalis overdose. Octreotide, dextrose, and steroids are used to treat sulfonylurea poisoning. Sulfonylurea poisoning can cause persistent hypoglycemia that recurs after treatment with dextrose. Methylene blue and vitamin C are used in the case of methemoglobin poisoning. In methemoglobin poisoning, iron in the heme molecule is Fe3+, which cannot bind oxygen until it's reduced to Fe2+, by treatment. Aminocaproic acid is used in the case of TPA or streptokinase poisoning. Vitamin K and plasma infusion are used to treat warfarin overdose. 
Note that you have to bridge with heparin, as warfarin can deplete protein C and protein S first, which are anticoagulants, leading to an initial prothrombotic state. Protamine sulfate and argatroban are used to treat heparin poisoning. Protamine is a highly positively charged peptide which strongly binds to the negatively charged heparin. Argatroban is a direct thrombin inhibitor. Now let's discuss household substance overdoses. Ethanol IV infusion and fomepazole are used in the case of antifreeze or ethylene glycol and methanol poisoning. You should think antifreeze when an ingested substance is said to be sweet and the individual appears to be drunk without the typical smell of alcohol. Fomepazole should be followed by dialysis. Again, think antifreeze when an ingested substance is said to be sweet and the individual appears drunk without the typical smell of alcohol. Fomepazole should be followed by dialysis. In the case of exposure to caustic fluids, you should perform endoscopy, and in the case of ocular exposure, irrigation may be necessary. In the case of caustic fluid ingestion, do not try to induce vomiting in these patients. These patients could also benefit from a small amount of diluent. Exposure to hydrofluoric acid is treated with irrigation and topical calcium gluconate. With these patients, you may see swelling and tenderness, hyperkalemia, hypocalcemia, and even hypomagnesemia. In the case of a rattlesnake bite or crotaline envenomation, you should treat with antivenin. Small parallel bite marks that ooze suggest envenomation. They're associated with erythema, edema, swelling, and pain. In the case of elapidae or coral snake bite, treat with antivenin and supportive measures. These patients present with descending flaccid paralysis, respiratory failure, lethargy, and the bite is often painless. In the case of Amanita phylloides poisoning, treat with supportive care. Amanita phylloides inhibits RNA polymerase, and the course of poisoning includes nausea and vomiting, toxic appearance, and also elevated liver enzymes with stigmata of liver failure. Supportive care is also the treatment in the case of Amanita muscaria. This substance is hallucinogenic, it can cause delirium, agitation, synesthesia, and it's also a sympathomimetic. In a patient that has a jellyfish sting, it's most important to remove the nematocyst or the stinger, warm water immersion, and rinsing the area with vinegar. These patients present with pain, erythema, edema, and cord-like lesions. Caffeine is an adenosine antagonist, and in the case of caffeine overdose, treat with supportive therapy. These patients present with tachycardia, palpitations, anxiety, supraventricular tachycardia, or seizures. Now let's revisit iron poisoning. Most deaths due to iron poisoning in the case of ingestion of iron tablets occur in children between 12 to 24 months of age. Symptoms of iron poisoning occur within 30 minutes to several hours of ingestion. They include abdominal pain, diarrhea, vomiting, cyanosis, drowsiness, and hyperventilation resulting from the acidosis. Death can result in 6 hours, but an apparent recovery may happen between 6 and 12 hours, with death ensuing in the next 12 hours. Again, in the case of iron poisoning, death can result in 6 hours, but an apparent recovery period may happen between 6 and 12 hours, with death ensuing in the next 12 hours. If not treated early, damage to the stomach can lead to pyloric stenosis or gastric scarring. Again, if you don't treat iron poisoning early enough, damage to the stomach can lead to pyloric stenosis or gastric scarring. Early treatment with deferoxamine can reduce mortality significantly from 45% to only 1%. Let's briefly discuss the mechanism of action of iron-related damage. Iron overdose results in the peroxidation of membrane lipids leading to cell death. 
This uncouples oxidative metabolism, which leads to anaerobic metabolism, and eventually lactic acidosis. Now let's discuss toxic alcohols. Each are competitive substrates for alcohol dehydrogenase, or ADH. Methanol is metabolized by ADH to formaldehyde, followed by aldehyde dehydrogenase to form formic acid, which is toxic to the optic nerve. Early toxicity of formic acid is metabolic acidosis by formic acid itself. Formic acid also binds to cytochrome oxidase, blocking oxidative phosphorylation, resulting in lactic acidosis, which is the leading cause of the metabolic acidosis. Signs and symptoms appear within 12 to 24 hours after ingestion. Again, the signs and symptoms of methanol toxicity appear within 12 to 24 hours after ingestion. These signs and symptoms include CNS depression, as methanol acts similarly as ethanol as a CNS depressant. Again, you would see metabolic acidosis associated with it, and you may also see visual changes, as blindness occurs with as little as 30 milliliters and death at about 100 milliliters ingestion. Ethylene glycol is a colorless, odorless, and a sweet-tasting liquid. Toxicity of ethylene glycol derives from the hepatic oxidation of ethylene glycol to glycolic and oxalic acid. It's degraded by the same pathway as methanol. The glycolic acid produced by aldehyde dehydrogenase is converted in oxalic acid. Oxalic acid binds calcium and forms calcium oxalate crystals that damage the heart, brain, lungs, and kidneys. Signs and symptoms develop in stages after ingestion. Ethylene glycol is a stronger inebriant than methanol and ethanol, causing mild depression of CNS, resulting in seizures and coma. These patients appear drunk without smelling like alcohol. Again, in ethylene glycol ingestion, these patients appear drunk without smelling like alcohol. Within 4 to 12 hours, calcium oxalate crystals deposit in the brain, causing CNS toxicity, cerebral edema, meningismus, characterized as nuclear rigidity, photophobia, and headache without infection or inflammation. Hypocalcemia also occurs due to binding of calcium by oxalic acid and can cause prolonged QT, arrhythmias, and myocardial depression. The second stage occurs about 12 to 24 hours after ingestion. Tachypnea occurs to offset the metabolic acidosis due to the toxic metabolites that are produced. Multi-organ failure, which is characterized as CHF, lung injury, myositis, due to widespread crystal deposition may also be seen. Note that most deaths occur in the second stage. The third stage takes place about 24 to 72 hours after ingestion and is characterized by acute aneuric renal failure from crystal deposition, but full recovery occurs within weeks to months. Treatment of this toxicity is IV ethanol. It's a competitive substrate for ADH and has greater affinity for ADH than methanol and ethylene glycol. You can also treat with fomepizol, and this is actually the best initial therapy. It works by inhibiting ADH and preventing production of toxic metabolites. Fomepizol use should be followed by dialysis. Next, let's discuss isopropyl alcohol or isopropanol ingestion. This is common in alcoholics who have run out of alcohol, and it's found in rubbing alcohol, disinfectants, and hand sanitizers. Patients that have ingested isopropanol are profoundly intoxicated and much more stuporous and ataxic than in the case of ethanol ingestion. They present with nausea, vomiting, and abdominal pain from gastritis and smell of acetone. You may also see an osmolar gap without an anion gap acidosis. Treatment consists of supportive care. Now let's discuss seafood-associated toxins. These include tetrodotoxin, scombroid, and ciguatoxin. The presentation of a patient exposed to scombroid toxin poisoning 
is a peppery, bitter fish taste when consuming tuna, mahi-mahi, herring, and mackerel. These patients may have GI symptoms such as abdominal pain and diarrhea, dermatologic symptoms such as urticaria and flushed and warm skin, pulmonary symptoms such as wheezing, or neurologic symptoms such as dizziness. Ciguatoxin is a heat-stable neurotoxin and inhibits voltage-gated sodium channels. Exposure to ciguatoxin may present with GI symptoms such as vomiting, diarrhea, and abdominal pain, neurologic symptoms such as perioral paresthesias, pruritus, metallic taste, painful dentition, sensation that teeth are loose, temperature-related diesthesias, and blurry vision. You may also see cardiac symptoms such as bradycardia, heart block, and hypotension. On a miscellaneous note, note that when behavioral changes are recognized in adolescence, you should also screen for substance abuse. Now let's try applying some of these concepts by doing a practice question. A 44-year-old man is brought to the emergency department as he was found intoxicated and belligerent at a public park. The patient was aggressive towards the police, thus prompting them to bring him in. On the ride to the hospital, the patient became more confused and disoriented. On arrival, he has a Glasgow coma scale of 10 and is not answering questions coherently. His temperature is 97.6 degrees Fahrenheit or 36.4 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 114 over 64. Pulse is 110 per minute. Respirations are 25 per minute. And oxygen saturation is 99% on room air. Physical exam reveals a confused man who is covered in vomit. Initial laboratory studies are ordered and result as follows. Hemoglobin 14, hematocrit 42%, Leukocyte count 9,900 with normal differential and a platelet count of 222,000. Serum sodium results as 139, chloride as 100, potassium as 4.2, bicarb at 10, BUN of 35, a glucose of 77, and a creatinine of 1.9. Urinalysis and microscopy demonstrates calcium oxalate crystals with an envelope-shaped appearance. Which of the following toxic byproducts is most likely to be found in this patient? 1. Acetylaldehyde 2. Formic acid 3. Glycolic acid 4. N-acetyl-P-benzoquinoneimine or 5. Salicylates The correct answer is 3. Glycolic acid This patient is presenting with confusion, an anion gap acidosis, an acute kidney injury, and calcium oxalate crystals on urinalysis, which are concerning for ethylene glycol ingestion. Ethylene glycol ingestion can lead to accumulation of the toxic byproduct glycolic acid. Ethylene glycol is found in antifreeze and solvents and has a sweet taste. It is commonly ingested by alcoholics or individuals attempting to commit suicide and may cause a presentation similar to alcohol ingestion. Patients will initially present with intoxication, nausea, vomiting, and ataxia, which can progress to stupor and coma. Patients may demonstrate hypertension, tachycardia, hyperventilation, hypocalcemia from binding oxalate, and myositis. Renal failure is common in these patients, and calcium oxalate crystals can precipitate in the urine. The treatment of ethylene glycol ingestion is first to administer fomepazole, which inhibits alcohol dehydrogenase, decreasing formation of the toxic compound glycolic acid, followed by dialysis to definitively remove the ingested compounds. Now let's discuss the incorrect answers. Answer 1. Acetylaldehyde is an intermediate formed during alcohol consumption and can lead to a flushed, warm feeling. Alcohol intoxication would present with slurred speech, emotional lability, and an ataxic gait. 
and patients require no treatment other than observation. Answer two, formic acid is the toxic byproduct formed by methanol consumption, which will cause an anion gap acidosis as well as optic nerve toxicity leading to blurry vision. Treatment involves the administration of fomepizole followed by dialysis. Answer four, N-acetyl-P-benzoquinone-imine is the toxic byproduct formed with an acetaminophen overdose, which can lead to severe liver toxicity, nausea, vomiting, jaundice, and an AST and ALT level in the thousands. Treatment involves plotting the level on the RUMAC-Matthew nomogram and administering N-acetylcysteine. Finally, answer five. Salicylate overdose can cause a presentation of tinnitus, hyperventilation, and a respiratory alkalosis early in the presentation, followed by an overwhelming metabolic acidosis from renal bicarbonate wasting, fatty acid breakdown, and mitochondrial toxicity later on. Treatment of salicylate overdose involves sodium bicarbonate and dialysis. Now for a bullet summary. Ethylene glycol toxicity presents with an anion gap acidosis, calcium oxalate crystals in the urine, and forms glycolic acid as the toxic byproduct. That's all for today's review of toxicology. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session by MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. Keep in mind that you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing these topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or mobile app while reading through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the MedBullets podcast thus far, we'd appreciate your consideration in leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It'll help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.